Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I wanted to talk about, as Pastor said, I want to talk to you about the Lord's Prayer. And I believe this. I believe the Lord's Prayer is the perfect model for how to pray. There's no better place to learn about prayer or how to pray or what to pray than by looking at the Lord's Prayer. It is the perfect model for how to pray. In fact, you know, I study church history and I love old books and old writers. And there's this old book that I came across 10 or 15 years ago called the Didache. And in the Didache, this, uh, this book was passed around among the churches and covers all the things about how do you, how do you lead a church? How do you baptize people in the church? What should communion be and what should it look like? You know, how do you deal with evangelists and people traveling to and fro churches? It covers all this stuff. But there's a section in there about the Lord's Prayer. It actually says that when you pray, you should actually pray the Lord's Prayer three times every day. And I found that really interesting because I feel that in today's world, in today's culture, I think some of us pray, but we, we like the freelance prayer, right? Which I'm okay with. You know, I love freestyling my prayers. But then there's the Lord's Prayer. And I feel that there's something special about this prayer. Yeah. You know, it's literally in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. He covers all of the important topics that we need to live a godly life and to be a part of the kingdom of God. And one of the things that he hits on is how to pray. He says, pray like this. And I feel that sometimes we, we kind of overlook what Jesus is saying. I think he's actually saying, you should pray this prayer. You should actually pray it regularly. You should actually memorize it. You should know it. You should internalize the principles and the truths in this prayer. And that's what I want to cover with you today. I want to look at these eternal principles that are found in the Lord's Prayer. It's a powerful, powerful prayer. I think the more you look at it, the more you grow. It's one of the things you never outgrow, amen? You never outgrow prayer. You're never going to outgrow the Lord's Prayer. And I'm grateful in my own life. I had my grandmother who would pray it all the time. She was praying it all, you know, morning and in the car and taking us to school. And then she would teach it to my mother and they taught it to me. And now I've taught it to my kids because there's something powerful, something very potent about the Lord's Prayer. And I hope today your hearts are open so that as we look at this, we learn how to pray, what to pray, but also what not to do when you pray, because Jesus actually covers both of those. So if you have your Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to actually read it with you from my Bible. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. Remember the context here is the Lord's Prayer, how to pray. And Jesus says this in verse 5. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Pray then like this. Here's the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. 
your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Can we pray together? Father, we thank you, Lord, that we could gather in your house today and worship and praise your name. We thank you, God, that we can sit at the feet of Jesus, the greatest teacher ever, your son who knows you so well. And pray, God, that as we talk about this prayer, I pray you bring revelation and illumination to us. I pray, God, you even transform the way we pray and approach you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. 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 I, uh, one of the honors that I have as a pastor in the church is I get to talk to so many different people that are new to the church or newer to the church, you know, people making decisions to get baptized or to get married or dedicate their baby. It's really an honor to have these conversations. But one of the things I like to do as I'm talking to people is end the meeting and end the conversation by prayer. And what usually shocks people is when I say, will you pray? <laughs> because they get very nervous. Suddenly there's tense, uh, they, they get tense, they get nervous. They kind of like, you want me to pray right now in front of you out loud? It's like, yes, pray. It's, it, it, it's natural, it's just part of being a believer. And sometimes I'll ask them to pray and they'll pray, but it's like a silent prayer. And it's an awkward silence. I'm like, no, I need you to say it out loud so I can hear and agree and say amen. You know, there's all this teaching that's happening in these little, these little meetings. But you know, as I've realized, or as I've come to understand, people do get very nervous about prayer. They sometimes feel inadequate about prayer. A little, you know, they're not sure they're qualified to pray. In fact, when I look at people or, or talk to people who are nervous about prayer, I find there's two things that usually hold them back. There's a fear of people and a fear of perfection. The fear of people is I'm afraid of, you know, what you're going to think of me. I'm, uh, I'm afraid that, you know, I might say the wrong thing. I, I don't want you to think bad of me or, or think that I'm not a real believer. You know, I, I really do believe in Jesus. You know, this is what they believe. <laughs> a fear of people, that's a real thing. And then there's a fear of perfection. I don't know if, if, if A, I'm right. I don't know if I'm actually qualified to pray. I don't know if God's really going to hear my prayer. Pastor, you're the, you've got the inside. You're a pastor. You're a godly man. You're, you know, you're the one that should be praying. And then there's the fear, that, that fear of perfection of, you know, they, they might say the wrong thing or use the wrong words or maybe the model or the, you know, do, who do I address it to? How do I end it? All these things. But what I love about Jesus is he's a perfect teacher. And when the disciples asked him how to pray, he said, this is how you should pray. It's right here. I'm going to spell it out for you. I'm going to model it for you, show it to you. And it's embedded right there, as I said, in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how you should pray. And he's going to give us these five eternal principles of prayer. But even before we get to those, I have to highlight the fact that Jesus actually says, when you pray, don't do these two things. Did you know there's things you're not supposed to do when you pray? We should know, right? If Jesus says, don't do this, we should know. Number one, he says, don't be fake. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the, the pagans and the Gentiles who, who are trying to impress their God with their lofty language. He says, don't be fake. The second thing he says is, don't lose your focus. Know who you're praying to. Know that when you say a prayer, you don't have to say everything because God's not aware of it. God knows you. He loves you. He knows your needs better than you know your needs. He knows, Jesus says this, he knows what you're going to pray before you even pray it. 
which leaves us with the question, so why do we need to pray? If God knows what I'm going to say, isn't this all a futile exercise? Like, what's the point here, God? That's because you and I look at prayer like it's a transaction. Like, we ask for things, and then God gives it to us. And that's not how God looks at prayer at all. God looks at prayer not as a transaction, but as relationship, as an opportunity for a father to speak to his children and for his children to speak to his father. So when you pray, don't lose your focus. And remember that you're praying to a God who knows you, who loves you, who wants, listen, he wants you to pray. It's a beautiful thing. So now that we've talked about the don'ts of prayer, I want to dive right in to these principles, these five principles of prayer. The first principle that we see outlined here in this passage is the principle of praise. The principle of praise, that God wants us to praise him. In fact, anytime we come to church, do you notice we don't start off with confession, right? You don't come into church acknowledging all the wicked or the bad things you've done. We always come into God's courts, into his gates with praise. How do we start off our worship service? With worship and praise. Because that's the foundation. We acknowledge that he's God, that he's great, that he's mighty, that he alone can forgive, that he knows everything about us, and we lay it all before him, and we praise him. Jesus says this, when you pray, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. He starts with the the first word. Man, there's so much depth in here. Just in the first line of this prayer, he says, our Father. I want to talk about our for a moment there. Remember who Jesus is. He's the son of God. He knows God. He he lived in heaven with God for all of eternity. He knows God intimately and fully and perfectly. And he's now saying, he's my God, but he doesn't teach his disciples to pray to God that way. Don't say my God, say our God. Jesus is now inviting us into the family of God, saying that you and I are a part of this relationship, this family with God, our father. Jesus is saying he's my dad and he's your dad too, amen? Come on, is he your dad? Is he your father? Do you think of God just as the man upstairs or Santa Claus that you go to when you need something or someone who comes down on you as a judge because you did something wrong? That's not a healthy view of God. The healthy view of God, in fact, the way Jesus would talk about God more than any other way is as father. And when he says our, I think even that word our, there's so much meaning there because our father means this. It means that when you and I pray, we should be praying together. There's a time to pray by yourself. Jesus talks about it. There's time to go into your closet and pray and be alone with God. There are moments in my life and and moments of my day when I pray solo. I'm all by myself. I'm just praying. It's me and the Lord. But then there are times when you pray, you should be in community. You should be with other people. He says, our Father. The model that we're seeing here is even when the early church would meet, they would recite this prayer together and say it together because we're in this together. We're brothers and sisters in this. You see, there's so many things in this world that will divide us. There's so many things that will pull us apart. There's tribalism, right? There's uh, how you vote and who you voted for and, and what race you are or, 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 or your wealth and how much money you have. There's so many things that divide you. I mean, I walked in today and I saw Christmas decorations up in the church. It's November. I happen to believe that you're supposed to wait until after Thanksgiving. But I'm not going to let that divide us. 
Uh, everybody calm down. All right. I, I'm sorry, Pastor. I shouldn't have gone there. It's the third rail of church. When do the Christmas decorations go up? No, we're, there's so many things that divide us. But one thing Jesus is saying is it's our. It's our. We are in this thing together. We are the body of Christ. We're to be unified. We're to be together. We're in, we're in unity. We're to be one. Jesus said this at the last supper. He said, Father, let them be one as you and I are one. The our Father begins with the premise that you and I are one. It's a beautiful thing. Don't let anything come into and divide the body of Christ. There's so many things we could fight and bicker over, but we're going to be united over one thing. Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. God is our Father. Amen? He says, our Father. And then he shows us this relationship that he has with God. In the Old Testament, you would see some of the psalmists and the writers who talk about God in this way, but not like Jesus. Jesus doubles down on it. He talks about God more than Lord or, or God or creator or maker of heaven and earth. He talks about God as his father. And I love that in this prayer and in this sermon, he's trying to get his followers, his believers, you and I, to start thinking of and addressing God as father. When you pray, I hope you pray, father in heaven, heavenly father, my father. You can say God, and you can say creator, and maker, and Elohim, and all the fancy, you know, beautiful titles of God, but a regular thing, a normal thing, a healthy thing is to say, God, you're my father. Father, I need you now. There's so much revelation in that because God is a loving father. I know some of us didn't have a loving father who was always present and caring, but I'm telling you, God is not like an earthly father. He is over and above anything that we could have ever asked for on the earth. He is a perfect father who knows his children, loves his children, provides and protects for his children. It's a beautiful thing. He's our father. And then he continues, he says, in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. The word hallowed means holy. This week, we celebrated Halloween. You would not think that day is holy because it's been corrupted. For hundreds of years, Halloween was holy evening. It was an evening when the church would gather and remember people who had passed away and died, saints, people who were faithful and lived for God, who, who honored the Lord their whole lives, even gave up everything. And it was an evening where they would honor these people. And now the enemy has turned this evening and made it a wicked thing. What God is calling us back to is an honor for God, honoring the Lord. To say, God, you're holy. There's no one like you. There's so many things in the world that may pull at our attention, but we're able to say, no, 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 none of these things compare to who you are. You are holy. Holy means separate, unequal to anything else, far and above and high uh, uh, from anything else that you could compare it to. God is perfect. You, you, are you getting a glimpse for the majesty that Jesus is trying to introduce to us? But at the same time that he's talking about God is so high and holy and separate, remember, he's also a father. And he also knows you and he loves you and you're a part of his family. It's beautiful that he starts this way, to praise God and recognize who he is and to honor him. The second principle, this eternal principle that we see in the Lord's Prayer is this principle of petition, number two, petition. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know who you give a petition to? A king. 
The second principle we see is when you address God, you address him as the king, as the maker of heaven and earth, as the one who rules over the universe, where all of creation follows his will and obeys his commands. When we address God, we should recognize that we are petitioning him, that we are addressing a king. Yes, he's father, but he's also a king. That means he's worthy of our allegiance. See, you and I live in the world, and there are many things that will pull at our attention and pull at our allegiance in the world. And what God is calling us to, what Jesus specifically is telling us here is, your allegiance is to your kingdom first. I'm an American. I'm a father. There are many words that I could use to describe me, but my first allegiance above all of them is to Jesus Christ. You see, if this is a kingdom, there's a king and kings are to be obeyed. And that's why when you live in a kingdom, you say, I'm going to do what the king wants. See, it's a kingdom, not a democracy. You and I think we get a vote in this. (laughs) that's because you're an American, right? We're in America, we we vote on things. But in the kingdom, there's only one vote. And it's God's will supersedes our will. And I know for some of you, that might be a scary thing because you're like, I don't know if I want God to reign. I don't know if I want God to rule in my life. I'm telling you, Jesus is inviting you into his kingdom that is perfect, that is eternal, that is good, that is flowing and full of mercy. He invites you into this. And when you become a part of his kingdom, He rules and reigns in your life and your heart. And all of these promises and all of these things that we see in the Lord's Prayer become yours. That you can call on him as father, that he's not distant or far from you. That he doesn't hold your sin against you any longer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I was talking to somebody after the first service and he actually said, you know, I'm new, new to the church. And he just started coming. And uh, he said, I started praying. He said, I, you know, he didn't re- memorize the entire Lord's Prayer, but he remembered this one thing from his childhood, thy will be done. And that's one of the lines that he said brought him to church today. He said, I knew that I had to decide every day, what does God want me to do today? And I came to church today. Imagine what would happen in your life if you live by this rule, Lord, your will be done in my life. Your will be done in my family. Your will be done over my finances. Your will be done with my children. What would happen to our lives if we said, God, you're going to rule and reign? The other thing that we're seeing here, when we say your kingdom come, you're saying, we're not, we live in the world, but we're not of this world. That we're saying that there's a world greater yet to come that we that we are praying for and yearning for and hoping for. I think some of us get too comfortable on this planet. We get too comfortable in our world, afraid to lose the little that we have. When God is saying, this is peanuts. This is a vapor. It's going to a mist. It goes so quickly. Why would you settle for this when you could have heaven, when you could have eternity, when you could have perfect relationship with God? God is inviting you to become a member of his kingdom. There's a church father, his name's Origen, and Origen said this, I think we have it. Jesus is the kingdom in person. Jesus is the kingdom in person. When you say, thy kingdom come, you're saying, Jesus, come. Come into my heart. Come into my life. On earth as it is in heaven. 
Jesus, you reign in heaven. You, you, you're perfect in heaven. You're adored in heaven. Come on the earth. Reign in my life. Reign in my heart. I don't want my life to be divided any longer. I want you to reign perfectly and fully in my life. And you know something? You know, to become a citizen of America, it takes time. It could take uh, years even to become a citizen of America. But becoming a citizen of the kingdom of God, it happens instantly. Instantly. I have a scripture here. I hope we have it. I wanted to read this to you. Yes, it says in Philippians 3.20, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But our citizenship is, say is. Is. Not will be. It's is. It's now. Did you know? You have a passport to heaven right now. You're a citizen of heaven right now. Your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life right now. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a citizen of heaven right now. You don't have to wait for it. You don't become a citizen after your death. You're a citizen now. We get too rooted into the world, too connected into the world when we are passing through. We are on a stop. This is a rest area stop. This is not our final destination. Amen? You have something better, something more glorious that awaits you on the other side of eternity. Amen? Amen. Do you receive that today? Awesome. That's a powerful principle when you start to see God in that way, that you're petitioning a king and a kingdom and you're a part of that kingdom and you're saying your will be done. It will change your life. Number three, the third principle that we see in the Lord's Prayer is this principle of provision. This principle of provision where you see that God provides your needs, that he takes care of you. It's powerful. Verse 11, he says, give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. When you live by kingdom principles and you live according to the kingdom of God, it's amazing how he takes care of you. When you come outside of that and you live in debt or you live in greed or you live in dishonesty, you are no longer living under kingdom principles. You remove yourself from the kingdom. Something powerful happens though. You know, I I was uh, thinking of my mom because my mom is, uh, she's very generous. She's a saint. She's a loving woman. And every time she comes to our house, she brings over eggs or bread. And she found out my son loves cinnamon swirl bread. I don't know if anybody loves that bread. You know, it happens to be a big, he he seems to love it. So my mom brings it by all the time. And um, I realized that my son, he wasn't eating it. And I'm starting to look around the house and I'm finding cinnamon swirl loaves of bread everywhere. Literally everywhere. I mean, there are 13 loaves to give you an idea. I'm not lying. 13 loaves. I had to count them. I put them all on a countertop, took a picture and showed it to my mom and said, cool it, bread lady. Like, no more, no more bread. We're not eating the bread any longer. So it was coming out of everywhere. But you know, today we take it for granted. We have bread everywhere. It's so easy. But that's not the history of the world. And that's not most people in the world. Most people in the world are hand to mouth. They are struggling just to get their needs met. And I know some of you may be struggling to get your needs met, the next rent check or uh, paying for your food or gasoline in your car these days. It's crazy. But one thing Jesus is teaching us here in the Lord's Prayer is if you pray this way, you'll start to see God as your provider. You start to see that God provides and meets all of your needs. My son is reading this book, same son, same boy. <laughs> He's reading this book on George Mueller, who's, um, who, who did an amazing thing a couple hundred years ago. He lived in Britain and they didn't take care of the kids there. Kids would end up just on the street and have wild gangs of kids and they were savages. But um, 
He started an orphanage for children. But what's amazing about Mueller's approach is, number one, he took no state money. There was no state funds to help him do this. It was a private thing. And it was so private that, number two, he wouldn't even solicit and ask for donations. Imagine that, starting a charity or an orphanage and not asking people for donations. So how did he get his donations? One way, prayer. He said, I'm only going to pray and ask God to provide. It's a radical approach, a radical approach to his charity. And he started praying and he would pray and God would provide and meet needs. But it was sometimes very hairy. There's one morning where the kids were, he had no food for them. There was no breakfast, but there was a milk cart man who broke down right in front of his house. And as soon as they prayed, as soon as they said, amen, they got a knock at the door and the guy was able to donate this milk that was going to be spoiled because his cart broke down and God provided that need. Amazing. There's another time he didn't have the rent to pay for his orphanage. So once again, what was his practice? Pray and believe that God will provide. He gathered the children together and they prayed. Lord, provide the rent, provide. You are the provider. And they confessed that and believed that. And once again, as soon as they said amen, a knock at the door. Somebody walks over, gives them an envelope with cash, the exact amount of money to pay for the rent to keep the orphanage open another month. Amazing, amazing. And I know if I were to go around in this church today and ask, have you seen God's provision in your life? Hands would go up. People would be lining up because I could talk about dozens and dozens of times God came through and provided for my wife and I. It's amazing what God has done. And Jesus is trying to reveal to us and try to show us that when you pray, you're not going through life alone. That if you live by his kingdom principles, if you live according to his word and his way and obey him and live close to him, you have a good father who will meet your needs. Amen? It's a beautiful, powerful thing when you see that principle. Number four, the fourth eternal principle that I see of prayer is this principle to purify, that God wants us to be clean and holy before him. He says this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Some of you may remember learning the Lord's Prayer a different way. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How many remember that? Oh, yeah, show of hands. That's like old school King James version. That's really cool. Both of those ideas, debts and trespasses, show you what we've done. We owe God something. We have a bill we cannot pay. We have trespassed against God. We have violated and crossed the line and broken his word, broken his law. But then he tells us we have been forgiven. Jesus cancels out those debts. He pays the debt. He makes sure that we don't have to suffer for our sin or walk with the shame or guilt any longer. You're forgiven, amen? Say, I'm forgiven. But now that you're forgiven, and now that that debt has been erased, God now says to you, Jesus is telling us, make sure you erase others' debts. I want you to consider for just a moment, are there people in your life that owe you a debt? Are there people in your life that have trespassed against you, sinned against you? And Jesus would go on later in the Lord's Prayer and he said, forgive others. And if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. Such a heavy statement. We receive his forgiveness so freely and so quickly. 
But God is also calling us to make sure that we now extend that same forgiveness we have received to other people. I would encourage you. You know, it's interesting that two weeks in a row now, Pastor Jordan was speaking about this even last week, talking about people who have hurt us or uh, sinned against us, to pray for our enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. Who in your life are you still holding things against? And God is saying, forgive them, release them of that debt. Wipe that thing off. Don't carry it around any longer. God doesn't hold your sin against you. And he now is calling us to forgive those who have sinned against us. Amen. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I pray that we can be people of forgiveness, people who are being purified and cleansed, that we're not walking around with sin any longer, but we're allowing ourselves to be free of that. Here's the fifth, the, the fifth eternal principle that I see in the Lord's Prayer, and it's this principle of protection. I believe that God wants to protect his people. I believe that God is there to rescue. Many times you read through the Bible and you see a God who reveals himself as a mighty fortress, as a refuge that people can run into in times of trouble. There are other times the Bible talks about God as like a shield that is lifted up so that when others or when the enemy is attacking you, he has your back. He is protecting you. I want you to know something. When temptation or evil comes at you, you are not on your, lo- on your own. You are being guarded. You are being protected. He says, and lead us not into temptation. How many know God will never lead you into temptation? You may lead yourself there. You may find yourself in temptation. Temptation may even come to you. It's literally as quick as picking up your phone, right? Temptation, sin, wickedness is literally a click away on many of our phones. And what God is calling us to do is when temptation comes, know who to cry out to. Resist it. Run from it. Don't surrender to it. And pray. Pray yourself out of it and pray protection that you won't encounter it. Prayer is a powerful thing. And Jesus is trying to teach us that. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I believe that we need to pray more for ourselves. But we also need to pray for those around us. You know, don't just pray for your health and your home and your happiness. But pray for your church. Pray for people you serve with here at the church or you go to crew with here at the church. Pray for your family members, outside of family. Pray for your enemies. There was a, um, many, 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 many years ago when I was a youth pastor, many years ago, I had a a young lady, a a young girl, she she came to our our youth group and I remember she wanted to go to a, um, she wanted to hang out with her friends in Providence, but these were kind of iffy friends, if you know what I mean. They weren't, very, um, let's just say they didn't go to church. <laughs> so m- her mom was kind of a pushover though, if I'm honest. But she was a praying person. She would pray, but she was kind of very soft and usually kind of let her daughter do what she wanted to do. But this night, something different happened. This night, she felt a check that she shouldn't let her daughter go out. And she put her foot down. It was the one time she actually ever put her foot down and said, no, I don't want you to go out. And her daughter was incensed. She was so, so upset. She wouldn't talk to her, wouldn't give her a kiss uh, to bed that night. She just went to her room, soaked in her bedroom, and stayed there for hours. And then a couple hours later, something tragic happened. She, the daughter came down from the bedroom and said, I got a call from some of my friends. She said that the two friends she was going to hang out with were... They encountered some violence. They were shot and killed that evening. We live in a dangerous world. 
We live in a world where evil is so pervasive. And there's wickedness all over the place. But I do believe this. I believe that God hears our prayers. I do believe that God does protect his children. Amen. I do believe it. That young lady is alive today because of her mother's prayers. Your prayers are powerful and effective. You are calling on the maker and creator of heaven over your life. Angels start to arrange themselves around you to shield you and protect you. It's amazing. I believe you and I are being shielded all day long from wicked attacks. I think we are honestly oblivious to all the, the opportunities that the enemy could have snuffed us out or taken us out or threw temptation at us. I believe God is constantly protecting us. Some of us walk through life like it's Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, you know, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. But if we could see with our spiritual eyes what God is holding back at bay from us, in times that we've been preserved and saved from an accident, it's amazing, amazing what God does. Jesus was saying, when you pray, ask God to deliver you from evil. We live in a wicked world, a broken world, a fallen world. But I also know that God delivers and frees and rescues his people. He doesn't abandon us to it, amen? But he's with his people. I want to invite you to stand up for just a moment. I want to do something a little different. The worship team can come up. We've talked about the Lord's Prayer. And we've read it together. But as I said, I believe this is a prayer that's supposed to be prayed, not just studied. I think it would be a shame today if we just taught on it and never actually took the time to say it and recite it. I talked about this as like the perfect model for prayer, but I even believe that's not fully accurate. I think this is more than a model. I think this prayer needs to be memorized. I'm so grateful in my life that my grandmother, my mother, and now I've memorized that prayer. I can pray at any day, at any moment. There might be a time you're invited to go to the hospital and pray with someone. And the words will escape you. You're not sure what to say or what to pray, but you can pray this. Our Father, Amen. who art in heaven. I want to pray this prayer with you. I want us to recite it together. I was talking to Pastor Jordan about this message yesterday, and he said he actually prays this prayer three times every day. The church was doing something right. If for hundreds of years they were teaching their people to pray this every day, three times a day, I would encourage you, first, to memorize this prayer. Second, to internalize it and make it a part of your life Amen. so that you incorporate these ideas and these principles into your understanding of who God is. And then third, to speak it, and to pray it. Husbands and wives, pray it together. If you have children or grandchildren, impart it to them. Teach it to the next generation. So I, I grew up learning this prayer in the King James. And I'm going I'm to ask you to recite this prayer with me, and we'll read it together. Let's read it together right now. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.